Praise God. He's so good to show up when we worship. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while weak, the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain. And those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on slaves of another? It, it is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day, observe it for the Lord. Also, those who eat, eat for the Lord, since they give thanks to God, while those who abstain, abstain for the Lord and give thanks to God. For we do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will be held accountable. Word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you for your grace. We thank you because you always grace us, O Lord, with your Holy Spirit. You speak to us through our worship. You speak to us through your word. You speak to us through everything we do during the service. We ask now, O oh Lord, that you will continue to speak through this word as it is proclaimed. We ask that you will give us understanding for it, that we might be able to know how to apply it to our lives. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul writes to the Christians in Rome, who we have learned that are trying to follow their Christian faith as they live in the center of the Roman Empire. One of the things that we knew about Rome is that Rome was a very diverse city. There was people from all over the empire because the Romans had this habit of conquering people and then bringing some of them back home. Sometimes against their will, you know, as slaves or as servants or as indentured people that would have to do work, but they brought them with them and they brought them home often and they, they would do this. And so Rome was a city that was very diverse with people from all over the empire. And you had Gentiles and you had Jews and you had people that were of Roman citizenship and then you have people from all over the conquered lands of the Roman Empire. With this diversity came many challenges because there was all kinds of religious beliefs, political beliefs, social beliefs in the Roman Empire. And a lot of these things did not 
go with Christianity. A lot of these things were not compatible with Christianity in any way. They believed in many gods, and they had a god for just about anything you can imagine. And so, for the Christians who were only supposed to worship the one true God, this was a, this was a real challenge and a difficult situation. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, that salvation is by faith alone and not by works. So Christians had learned to, to believe that their salvation was not something that they earned through their actions, through their practices, through the things that they did or the things that they gave, but rather that it was God's work in them through their faith in Jesus Christ, that holiness came after justification in Christ. Even though they knew this, there was different opinions as to how to go about your Christian life. There was different opinions about what it meant to live as a Christian in the middle of the Roman Empire, surrounded by people that did not agree with you. Even though they were saved by faith, they had their background. The ones that were Jewish Christian came from the practice of Judaism that had the law and the prophets, the dietary restrictions, the observation of special days and festivals. The ones who were Gentiles came from a background of polytheism where they had many gods. They came from a, a different background where there wasn't a restriction in what they could eat. And they came from a background in which they were used to living in a more diverse society. Remember, the Jews like to separate. God told them to separate from everybody else. So they weren't used to being with a bunch of people that were different than them in the same place. Now, even though these differences were apparent and they were there, Paul writes to the church in Rome because he wants the Christians there to be able to get along with each other as they try to be the church and represent Christianity to everybody else. He realizes that some of them have a difference of opinion in terms of what they eat. And, of course, the Jewish Christians could not understand why the Gentile Christians wouldn't want to follow the rules. Because as far as they were concerned, these were the dietary laws given by God. Why wouldn't you follow the rules that we follow? And, of course, the Gentile Christians who believed that they had been saved by grace and faith in Jesus Christ and that they weren't subject to these rules, didn't understand why they should follow them. And so there was disagreement. They did not agree on what they should do about these things. So Paul writes to them to tell them not to pass judgment on one another. He says, God has welcomed both groups. He's welcomed the Gentiles that have come to believe in Christ, and he has welcomed the Jews who have come to believe in Christ, and he has saved them both. It's easier to say than to do to not pass judgment, isn't it? What is the first thing we do when we see somebody? We size them up. What are they wearing? What do they look like? What are they driving? <laughs> Is that a Rolex? 
We look at all the things. Oh, Lord, they got a auburn shirt on. God help them. You see, we judge them. We prejudge them immediately. We immediately assume some things about them. We do this sometimes even unconsciously, and we pass judgment even though we haven't had the chance to really meet them or know them or know anything significant about them. In the cases in which we're reading about in Scripture, each group is assuming certain things about the other. The ones who didn't eat the things that were restricted in the dietary law felt that they were being obedient to God and following the rules. They felt that they were honoring God by following these dietary rules. They felt doing this was a way to give God glory and praise and to follow His instructions. And when they saw the Gentile Christians not doing it, they judged them and said, oh man, these guys, they don't, can't even follow the rules. Simple rules. They can't follow them. And the Gentile Christians, on the other hand, thought they were honoring God by enjoying the bounty of all that God had created. They didn't understand why they should not enjoy the things that God had made for them. And so that difference caused these groups to look at, down on each other because let's face it, when we judge others, we don't do so so that we can point out how great they are. When we judge others, it's always to point out how bad they are or what's wrong with them or what is deficient in them or how we're so much better than them. And that's exactly what was going on between the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians in the Church of Rome. In the same way, there was the observation of special days and festivals. And we have to understand that the Jews had a long history with God. They had seen God deliver them from, from slavery. They had seen God give them a promised land. They had seen God do miracles in their lives. They had encountered God on the mountain. They had done so many things that had brought them close to God that they felt it was extremely important to commemorate and remember those, those milestones along their journey. And so the festivals and the celebrations and the special days were meant to remind them of their history with God and what they had been through. But the Gentiles did not have that background. And so this is like telling somebody to celebrate Christmas who doesn't know who Christ is. They'd be like, I'll take presents, but I don't understand why we're celebrating this guy. They don't understand it. The Gentiles didn't understand all these celebrations. They knew about festivals to other gods and rituals and things that were done. But they didn't understand why the Jews were so set on following these special days. To them, every day was a day to worship God because he had saved them through grace and given them the opportunity to be welcomed when they weren't welcome before, when they weren't people of God before, when they were outsiders and God had made them insiders, they felt every day was a day to worship God. He's, he's admitted us. He's received us. I don't need a special occasion. I can just celebrate Him every day. And so you see how these differences continue to exist between these two groups. And so what do you do when you know that the first place we go to is judgment? when we think about differences with other people. 
Paul says, instead of judging one another, we should remember that we're not living for ourselves, that we're supposed to be living for Christ. That whether we live or we die, we should be doing it for the Lord. That whatever we do in life should be for the purpose of giving God glory in Jesus Christ. In other words, what he was saying is, hey, if you don't eat, do it for the Lord. And if you do eat, do it for the Lord. Do it for the right reason. Don't do it just because you can or you can't. Don't do it just because of obligation or rule. Don't do it just because that's what my parents did. Do it for the Lord. As long as you're doing it for the reason of worshiping God through it and of following God in that, then you go ahead and do it. But don't do it to try to feel superior to your neighbor. Don't do it to try to make yourself look good in front of others. Don't do it so that others will praise you or so that you'll receive accolades. Don't do it to put up a front. Do it for the glory of the Lord. Paul explains it simply. Those who do the dietary laws, they do it to honor God. And those who eat of everything do it to honor God. They're not doing it just to get the other group mad. They're not doing it to just get the other side angry at them. They're doing it following their best conscience before God. It can seem confusing, but the logic is actually pretty simple. For each group, their act was part of their worship to God. For each group, what they were doing, they felt honored God's work in them and what God had done for them. For each group, what they did or didn't do became a celebration of God's grace for them. In the same way, the celebration of the special days was the same. Those who honor God on special occasions did so to just highlight those days and to celebrate some milestones and things God had done in those occasions in the history of their, of their people. And the ones that didn't tried to celebrate God every single day because of his ongoing grace and mercy. So Paul, in a way, is arguing for each person to practice their freedom in doing either one as long as they're doing it for the Lord who has welcomed them. And he concludes by asking us a question. Why do we even pass judgment on our brother or sister? Or why do we despise our brother or sister? He says, and at the end, we will all have to stand before the judgment seat of God and God will do the judging. It is going to be up to God to judge us. You're not going to be under peer review with all of the people in your, in your neighborhood. <laughs> You're not going to be in peer review with all the people in your church. You're going to be standing before Jesus Christ who was holy and perfect. And you're going to be compared to him. And guess what? All of us are going to fall short of that. And it is only going to be through the grace of Jesus and the righteousness of Christ attributed to us that we will be found righteous on that day. Not by anything we did, not by anything we said, not by anything we gave. He says, therefore, don't judge one another. On that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's going to be no hiding from the truth of who he is. And the only question that God is going to ask you is, did you believe in Jesus? Jesus. 
as your Lord and Savior. And you better be able to say yes. You better be able to say yes, I believe, and I have believed in Jesus. Paul's prescription for this situation is actually kind of simple. As long as you continue to follow the Lord and follow his direction in your life, as long as you continue to follow the teachings of Jesus and his instructions, and continue to give him the glory and the praise and to live for him, then do it for the Lord and keep going. Continue to worship God, to honor him. We live and die to share his good news. We live and die to promote his kingdom, even as our own kingdom falls, as one of our songs says. You know, sometimes we have to remember that in order for Christ to increase in us, we have to decrease in ourselves. Because selfishness and, and self-justification comes in we become self-righteous when we start comparing ourselves to each other. And we say things, or we think things like, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. At least I don't wear what so-and-so wears. At least I don't say what so-and-so says. And we forget that when we stand before the throne of God, he's not going to say, were you better than Joe or, or Jill or Pam? He's going to say, how did you measure up? to the stature of Jesus. Did you believe in him as your Lord and Savior? That's going to be the measuring stick. But it is hard to resist temptation not to judge. So how do we do it? Well, one of the things that I think Paul is trying to tell the church in Rome is, remember that every single one of us has arrived here by grace and faith in Jesus Christ. None of us earned it. None of us deserved it. It was given to us as a gift of faith when we believed in Jesus. And when something is received as a, as a gift, then we have nothing to boast about in ourselves because we didn't do it. God did it. We didn't achieve it. God gave it. We didn't deserve it. Jesus paid the price for it so we could obtain it. So try to look at each person that you see without prejudice, without prejudging, without thinking about what you think you know about them, and try to look at them as Jesus does, as someone he died on the cross to save, as someone that he wants to redeem and be in relationship with, as someone that he might already have a relationship with that you know nothing about. You know, one of the things that, that, that happens to me all the time is that I'll meet somebody and immediately my brain starts trying to prejudge and then they open their mouth and talk to me and I realize this is a person that actually has a deep relationship with God. This person knows Jesus. This person knows the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing sometimes how the Spirit tells our spirit, hey, this is another Christian, by the way. This is a member of the family of God. He, he or she believes in Jesus. And you know, you can meet a total stranger. Happened to me yesterday at the yard sale. You can meet a total stranger and immediately the Holy Spirit goes, yep, this is one of mine. And you have an instant connection because they're a part of the family. 
Paul wanted the church in Rome and us to understand that we are to be the body of Christ. And in the body there is diversity, there's differences of opinion, but when it comes to the central point of Jesus Christ, we agree. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He is the one who has redeemed our lives. He's the one that has forgiven our sins. And he is the one who we try to worship and live for and even die for. Now those words might not mean as much to us sometimes as they should. But to the church in Rome who was at risk at every moment of being killed or being put in prison, to live or die for Jesus had full meaning. They knew at any moment their life could be asked of them. And their faith in Jesus Christ has had to be so strong that they were willing to do that if it came to that. Would we be willing if our life was demanded from us to live and die for Jesus Christ? I hope so. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this word. I thank you because it challenges us, Lord, not to prejudge or to judge others by things that we see or hear or observe from them, but to really seek to get to know them and to see if we share faith in Jesus Christ. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will continue to unite us as a church, that, O oh Lord, as we continue to be the body of Christ, we will be willing to live and die for you that we will be willing, O oh Lord, to continue to expand your kingdom and share your word, that we will be willing, O oh Lord, to put ourselves on the line so that Jesus' name might be glorified. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will continue to lead us as we continue to try to, to reach out into this world for those who are lost so that they will know Jesus as their personal Savior. Help us, Lord, to reach out of them in love. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar is always open if you've struggled with judging and looking down on others. This is an opportunity for us to humble ourselves and ask Jesus to help us to look at people in a new way as Jesus does.